But here's one of the three things I'll start off with telling you about. We are declaring this summer the summer of gifts. And that's, that's the thing that's on my plate. I'm the one who's kind of carrying this ball forward, the summer of gifts. And what we mean by that is, so on a Sunday, Orchard's kids will remain the same and worship will remain the same space, but this teaching space is gonna significantly change. Normally that space is led by either Daniel or myself, and that's the voice that you hear. There's also others that teach as well. During the summer, you're gonna hear up to five voices on a Sunday, uh, and here's why. What we want to do is really press into what Paul said. Well, you know what? I'm gonna save that for later, because that's coming. But here's the main thing we want to do. Each week, three or four people will be helping us understand who they are and how God has wired them and gifted them. Summer of gifts. In other words, you've seen my gifts and you've seen Daniel's gifts and David's gifts and others up here, but we really don't know your gifts very well. We don't really know your story very well. And though we can't take a ton of time to bring up everyone in the congregation to do that, we at least want to dive in for about eight weeks during the summer and just do a little bit of interviewing, hearing your story, and here's why. Here's how this applies to the teaching of scriptures. We really want to understand what does it mean to do everything in the name of Jesus Christ. Not just sing and not just preach a sermon, but what does it mean to be a mother, to have a job, to be within a neighborhood, to have a hobby in the name of Christ. It, Paul said, everything you do, do it in the name of Christ. And so we want to hear from you about how you do that. So we're going to have various people come, and I'm just going to interview them, and we're going to have that conversation. Yeah. So that's the summer of gifts. Well, and I mean, first hearing it, right, you say, so it sounds like we're, there's like no sermon for us for an entire summer, right? Like, are, are you guys just being lazy pastors? And the answer is yes. Um, no. <laughs> uh, so that sounds good, but it, you know, obviously the apostles said, hey, you know, there are these Gentile widows, they're not being cared for. We can't do it. We need to assign somebody else to do it because we need to dedicate ourselves to the teaching of the word. So the teaching of the word is highly elevated, and we care a lot about it here, and we care a lot about God's word here. So why give up a sermon every week for a whole summer? What's, what's the textual reason? What's the theological reason for doing it? Yeah, absolutely. Great question. I'm glad you asked it. I wrote it, too. Yes. <laughs> I'm glad you wrote it. That's awesome. Yeah. So here's one way to look at this. Every Sunday we teach in the same way that Paul taught and that he always begins with truth, with theology, with explaining who God is and what he's done, and with explaining who we are and what we're called to do. And then that second half of the teaching, we always move towards application or response. Like, okay, what does it look like to believe that theology and then to live it out together as a community? And generally, I would say we spend most of our time in that theological side, the explaining and the speaking to your mind. And we spend the end, you know, the last five or ten minutes in practice. Well, we're going to spend the lion's share of Sunday mornings in this practice side of things. What does it look like to practice the truth? But it's still going to be grounded in at least three scriptures. So Colossians 3.17 says, Do all that you do in the name of the Lord. As I already said, thank you for doing that in the name of the Lord. You're welcome. <laughs> And so how is it that we pick up a water bottle for a friend in the name of the Lord? Like, how is that connected? Is it connected at all? And we believe that it is. Peter also wrote in a similar vein, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. And again, we're wanting to ask, how are you doing that? How are you doing that? What does your life look like? What are your gifts? We don't even know what they are. And how are you a faithful steward? 
of what God has called you to do. And then lastly, we're rooting these teachings this summer of gifts in 1 Corinthians 12, 7, where Paul also writes, Now to each one of you the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. And the common good is not just the church. The common good is all people. So how, again, we want to discover just a taste of how are you as individuals using the gifts God has given you for the common good of the church, but also for the place that you work or for the clients that you have or the students you teach or the family that you shepherd. What does that look like? Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, and I think it's interesting, too, because a lot of if your community group is anything like mine, we take a break over the summer. And so we're missing some of that community time together. Not that we don't see each other, right? But it's, it's just we're missing that that we would normally get during the week where we're learning about each other and growing from each other, right? And this is an opportunity where we're actually going to take what we do during the week and we're going to move it to Sunday mornings as a whole community and get to know each other kind of on a larger scale that way. Um, and there will be some uh, supplementary teaching uh, that we'll be doing, but we'll get to that later in the message. Yeah. Yeah. So I said three things this summer. Okay. Three new things. The first one I just explained, the yep. summer of gifts. Okay. What's the second one? Uh, now, this is one that you guys all know about already. Um, and this is uh, Congratulations Sherwood. And we're actually, we're printing up yard signs as well. So if you have a yard and you would like a yard sign that says Congratulations Sherwood, I actually, I don't care if you want one, you're getting one. And you're going to put it up and it's going to be amazing. Um, I'm helping the Hiles move this Saturday and I'm bringing one, I think. I'll just play a plunket in your, your yard. <laughs> um, so here's the thing. When we think about the gospel, often what comes to mind in my head the first thing is Jesus died for your sins so you can go to heaven when you die. That's very often the very first thing that comes to mind. And I think that reality is true for many people probably in the city of Sherwood. And that gospel is, I mean, it's good, but it's also really incomplete. And it's actually not even the one that Jesus preached. <gasps> Don't believe me? Let's go there. Look at Mark chapter 1. I'm going to read in verse 14 and 15. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. So after John the Baptist right, was arrested, Jesus comes into Galilee preaching the gospel of God. It's really hard to preach, believe in me, and that I, was, I, I, I will rise from the dead. It hasn't happened yet. It's, it's not there, but he's preaching the gospel. So then instantly a question erupts in my mind, what is the gospel that Jesus was preaching? And it keeps going. So after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So the gospel is very, very central to Jesus. It's central to his message. It's central to what he's all about. But it does not yet include the cross. And what I think we've done is because the cross is so good, we have made it the only thing we talk about when we talk about the gospel. When the gospel for Jesus was something much wider and broader than just the cross. It's ironic to say just the cross because the cross is like everything. But you know what I'm trying to say? And so what we're going to do is we're going to give a message and a chance for Sherwood to hear the good news of Jesus in a full spectrum. Does that make sense? So here's, 
So you say, what is the good news? I think it's actually pretty easy to understand what the good news that Jesus was talking about here. It seems like he's talking about the presence of God, and he's also talking about the reign of God. And we see this reflected actually in, the, in, in Isaiah, when Isaiah talks about the good news. Go ahead and turn with me um, to Isaiah 40. While you're going there, I just want to add that um, not to totally condemn those that did uh, boil the gospel down to the simple components that Daniel talked about. There was a season when the church and evangelists were saying uh, the gospel can be so many things and we need to make it simple so that we can be consistent in what we say and what we share. And so a lot of work was, was made to really truly boil the gospel down to simplest forms. And they basically said the cross is the center and the key. So it was a legitimate discovery. And yeah. no, no one was out to destroy the gospel or undermine it or to leave things out. It was an honest intention that wasn't mm -hmm. well thought through. Yeah. And then the church has unfortunately latched on to that tiny sliver and failed to tell the rest of the story. Yeah. And so what I hear you saying and what I know you're saying is that we are going to tell the whole story yeah. so that in its fullness we can share it. Yeah. And often part of the reason we do this, by the way, is because because often the the sliver of the gospel, or I, I don't, it's more than a sliver, but that the the shrinking the gospel down to that one key component of the cross is is really helpful. But it's it can be problematic because often it doesn't come off as good news. Often it comes off as you're a sinner and you're going to hell unless you do this. And and that that's not received in like a, oh my goodness, like wow, amazing, thank you. Right? Unless the Holy Spirit is actually convicting someone in the moment, which happens. Which happens, And yes. happened a lot in Billy Graham's presence. Oh, that's true. That's for true. sure. But yes. we're, not, we're not Billy Graham. Yes. And I think uh, one of the things that's interesting about the gospel is that it was written in a culture, and it was contextualized for that culture, but it also critiqued the culture that it was written in. Does that make sense? And then the gospel continues to recontextualize itself in every culture across human history. And I think what's happening right now is that the message that has been heard and rejected by this current live, and when I say generation, I mean all of us who are alive in Sherwood right now, uh, is, a, is a message that has been effective and has been helpful, and now uh, is an opportunity for us to share a full spectrum look at the gospel, um, which is what we're going to be doing. Um, so uh, Isaiah 40, verse 9, go up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. I did it too. Oh, I'm supposed to do that now. Here you go. You hold that. There we go. Uh, <laughs> uh, go up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. So here in Isaiah, there's already good news. And there's someone who's a herald of it, someone who's coming and, it, and is shouting this, is proclaiming this. And it's actually an entire city of Zion. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not, say to the cities of Judah, here's the message, behold your God. The good news is that there is a God and that he is your God and that he's here now. You can behold him. You can see him. He is with you. That's really, really good news. And then turn with me to Isaiah 52, just a few pages to the right. I'm going to start reading in verse 7. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, 
your God reigns. So far, we've been two places in Isaiah that have talked about the good news, about good news, and both of these places have supported the good news that Jesus is talking about in Mark 1. God is here, he is present, he's tangible, and he is king, and he is your king. In fact, this is what life looks like when God is king. I'm going to read it again. The person who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, there's salvation, there's peace, there's happiness. This message sounds a lot like good news. This message sounds incredible. And this is the message that we want to be sharing. Turn one more time with me to Isaiah 61. This, this passage in Isaiah you're hopefully familiar with because this is one that Jesus actually reads over himself. Isaiah 61, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and opening of the prison to those who are bound. That sounds like really, really good news if you're poor, if you're in prison, if you're brokenhearted. This sounds like this is what it looks like when God is king, is that there is a king who cares about you. There is a king who speaks to your condition, a king who loves you and has a pathway forward for you to grow towards, towards him. Does that make sense? That's incredibly good news. And it actually... This passage in particular really mirrors the passage that we're going to be going over uh, in, when, at Congratulations Sherwood. Go ahead and turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. So remember, binding of the broken heart, setting the captives free. Matthew 5 verse 2, And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And he goes on. This sounds a lot like Isaiah 61 to me. And what's going on here is actually Jesus is describing, this is his manifesto of what the kingdom of God is like. And it's bookended. If you look at verse 2, he opens his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then he has a bunch, and it says, for those who mourn, they shall. For the meek, they shall. They hunger and thirst, they shall. And it's all future tense. And at the very end, look down at verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The whole Beatitudes are bookended. Here's present tense, present tense, in the middle, future tense. And that's what we know about the kingdom of heaven. It's now, but it's also not yet. There's many aspects of the kingdom of God that we enjoy beautifully today and now. And there's many aspects that are coming at the renewal of all things. And so this is what we get to do at Congratulations Sherwood. This word for, here for blessed is the Greek word markarios. And it means, there's not a good one-to-one translation. It's, it, but it was used as a congratulations. You just got a promotion at work, Markarios. You're having a baby, Markarios. We don't say when, you know, someone says, I got a promotion at work, I don't go blessed. (laughs) Even though that's how it's translated, right? We would say congratulations, congratulations. And that's what Congratulations Sherwood is all about. It's about sharing 
the good news of Jesus and his kingdom in a broad way to a broad public and over the Beatitudes saying, congratulations. If you're spiritually impoverished, the kingdom of heaven belongs to you. Congratulations, you're mourning in the kingdom of heaven, you're comforted when you mourn. Congratulations. And suddenly, my ears anyways get really excited about this really good news message. So that's congratulations, Sherwood. Sounds amazing. Yes. Already inspired. Great. Kind of felt like we started to do it right here. Yep, sorry. I was ready for you to invite people up to really (laughs) step into congratulations, Sherwood. But so far, you framed kind of what you're doing. Yes. But we're also participating. So what are we going to do? What are we going to do while you're doing that? Okay. Yes. Okay. So I will be doing that. uh, But this is kind of an all hands on deck event. Now we know people travel all summer, et cetera, which is why we're doing it actually three times. So if you can't make it to two of them, pick the one you can make it and commit to be there. This is our chance for us as a church to love and serve the city of Sherwood, the city of Tualatin, the city of Newburgh, Wilsonville, wherever we're coming from. This is a chance to serve. And so we need all hands on deck with setup, with teardown, with bringing really fun long games, uh, with bringing picnic and, and food to share, bringing extra chairs so other people can come and join you, with inviting neighbors. Uh, this is, this is going to be a chance for us as a community to really, really love our community well. Um, and so uh, we are two weeks out, I think. Two weeks, two weeks out. Oh, it's exciting, you guys. It's exciting. Uh, so you're going to be getting an email this week with all kinds of jobs and things that we need done uh, for July 4th and August 1st and August 29th. Um, and if you would help us by signing up and joining in and participating in the goodness of what God's going to do, we would really, really appreciate it because we believe that God's going to do some awesome things. And if it's just us at the park, then we're just going to have an awesome time too. Sound That's good? Right. Yeah, yeah. We, don't, we don't need nobody. Yeah, <laughs> there be you fun go. Just doing this. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> awesome. <clears throat> and, and pray. Yeah. Please start today. Yeah. This will be, we will be challenged to participate well. How much more will the public be challenged? How much will the enemy want to cause all kinds of reasons for people to not be there that day? Yeah. To not listen, to be skeptical, to reject. So we need to begin praying. We have 14 days to pray for open doors. Remember, Paul said repeatedly in Colossians, pray for open doors. Yeah. For us, that, that's open hearts. So pray for open hearts of anyone that happens to come. And hopefully, maybe some of us bring somebody. Like maybe the other thing we do is pray for who can I bring with me? Yeah. Who might really benefit from coming to be a part of this? And then even if it's someone who might be resistant, pray that resistance drops off and that they become open to that. God changes hearts. So let's start to pray. Okay, so that's two things, and I'm pretty sure I said three. You did. What's the other one? So because we're not going to be doing a sermon all uh, all summer long, we're actually going to... We, at first, we were going to, this problem came up because we thought, hey, let's do Summer of Gifts. This is going to be amazing. And then we thought, well, people are probably going to be sharing some really personal things, and we don't want to like broadcast that on our podcast system. So what should we do? Maybe we should replace the podcast for the summer. And then we thought, actually, this might be a really good opportunity to keep a form of teaching or sermon going all summer long. So this summer, we're actually doing Summer of Gifts simultaneously with what we're calling Summer of Wisdom. Uh, And we're going to be going over uh, the wisdom books of the Bible. Actually, not all of them. We're going to be going over Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job. 
Um, and we're going to do it in podcast form. And it's going to probably release every, whatever we decide, probably Sunday, actually. Uh, probably release on Sundays. And we'll try to keep it short, but Rick and I really like each other, so it might go longer than 20 minutes. Um, but we're going to be talking about, okay, really? Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. Uh, we're going to be talking about the wisdom books. And I think right now, this time, as much as any time, is such a good opportunity for us to pause and consider what is wise, what is wisdom. Um, Agreed. Yeah. And so um, if there is one takeaway that I, or yeah, one suggestion I have and way I can implore you to listen to this podcast is from the scriptures, wisdom of God is the new tree of life. I'm going to say that again. According to the scriptures, wisdom is the new tree of life. What do you mean? Great question, Rick. <laughs> uh, so when Adam and Eve, they're in the garden, there's the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and there's the tree of life. Okay? And, and we have access to both, and as humanity, we chose determination of what our own wisdom is, choosing our way over God's way. And then we come to the book of Proverbs and we see over and over again the fool and the wise man, the fool and the wise man, the fool and the wise man. And you see the wise man continually over and over and over again choosing wisdom, choosing the path of God. And I want to read here um, in Proverbs 3, uh, verse 13. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom, who gains understanding. For gain from her is better than gain from silver, her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand, and in her left hand are riches and honor. Her, her ways are ways of pleasantness, and her paths are peace. Verse 18, she is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. And I think this is an opportunity for us as a church to kind of dive in to Proverbs, to dive into Ecclesiastes, to dive into Job um, in a really accessible way and talk about what is wisdom and what does it mean to choose God's path over my path over and over and over again. And then in that, we find out that we're back in the garden with Adam and Eve. And every day, we get to make the choice again, am I going to choose my own self-determination my way, or am I going to choose God's way? Am I going to choose the tree of life? Am I going to choose wisdom? So please listen to the podcast as well. And that is kind of our summer. Now, if we think about wisdom, and this is kind of where we're ending with wisdom, is wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. That's kind of the start of it. And if you look at the three books all together, Proverbs, and, and honestly, even if you look at them in conversation with one another, it's interesting. Proverbs is kind of uh, a know-it-all. Proverbs is like a genius about everything. What's your problem? Sex? We got it. Parenting? Yep, we're there. Work? Uh-huh. Like, we know it, okay? And then you get to Ecclesiastes, and you kind of have a millennial being like, well, I don't know, man. Like, life is different than that. Ouch. It's not so <laughs> Sorry, millennials. Sorry for typecasting. <laughs> We know it's true. It's fine. Uh, you're one, so yes, I you're I, free to say it. I can make fun if of it. If I say it, that's bad. Yep. <laughs> that's why you're talking. That's true. Uh, so uh, he says, okay, Proverbs, that's great. Life is black and white for you, but let me be real with you. Actually, life is not always black and white. 
Life is actually sometimes like a vapor. Sometimes it's hard to grasp. Sometimes it doesn't go the way I think it ought to. Right? And then you get... I did everything right, and my child isn't walking with Jesus. There you go. I I prayed. I taught the scriptures. I brought him to church. Yeah. Yeah. Or, and then you get to Job. And Job says, hey, what if you're actually perfect, and then you suffer deeply? What do you do? Yeah. So. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Yeah. So the response interest is interesting in all three, in Proverbs, in Ecclesiastes, and in Job. The answer in all of them is actually fear the Lord and walk in wisdom. That's our response, is fear the Lord and walk in wisdom. Um, and so I kind of want to end, actually, with a passage uh, from Job, where God comes and speaks to Job after 37 chapters. He comes into the story, and he has something he wants to say to Job. Uh, do you have it pulled up? I do. I'll be happy okay. to read it. Yeah. yeah, and while I'm reading, I'm going to go ahead and have David and Sherry come up and get ready, because we want to worship out of this passage. Thank you, Daniel. Looking forward to all of it. Job chapter 38, the first 11 verses. Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? This is the Lord answering Job out of the whirlwind. He says, who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you. You make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched out the line upon it? The line is that chalk line that shows you what is straight, what is right. It's a plumb line. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb? When the earth was born and the waters gushed out of the springs and the waves were created, who brought control? Who brought order? When I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed limits for it, and set bars and doors, and said, Thus far shall you come, and no farther. You shall not pass. And who here said to the waves, Stay? This is the word of the Lord. 